0: Amen. Psalm 2 this morning. So for those of you who notice that is kind of a departure. Uh, from our First Corinthians study that we have been in. Uh, don't worry, we're going to be getting back to that next week. And so uh, in, in two weeks, actually, we're going to be on Sunday morning uh, observing the Lord's Supper as we teach and preach on the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11. So that'll be two weeks from today. I think it's the 29th. And uh, looking forward to that. But this morning, we are in Psalm 2. Now, to give you a little bit background here. Psalm 2 is a prophetic psalm that according to Acts chapter 4 was written by King David. It's a messianic psalm that teaches us about Jesus. But it's also a royal psalm that emphatically teaches us that Jesus Christ is King. Now it's interesting to note That while Psalm 2 is maybe not as well known as a lot of other psalms... Psalm 2 is actually quoted or alluded to more in the New Testament than any other psalm in at least 18 places. Now let me give you, if you want to go back and do a little study, uh, really the psalm is broken out into four voices. We have the psalmist or David's voice in verses 1 through 3 as we see David's question. We see God's response in verses 4 through 6. Uh, We see Jesus' voice, His decree in verses 7 through 9, and really we see the Holy Spirit's call in verses 10 through 12. But this is a beautiful psalm because it carries us from the harrows of human rebellion to the height of heaven's reign. Church, aren't you glad that our God reigns? We serve a great God, amen? We serve a glorious God, amen. Hey, there is no one like Him. He is King of kings. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of chaos and uncertainty around us right now, isn't there? My heart breaks for what we see going on over in Israel. That is heartbreaking. We see wars and rumors of wars. You, you think of all of the stuff going on in our country with elections and inflation. And there is a lot of chaos and uncertainty in the world around us right now. Many leaders in both the political and financial realms are saying that these days are some of the most uh, difficult days that we have seen in decades. And There's not only a lot of things going on around us, but how many of us? are dealing with a lot of things individually as well. Burdens of loss or sickness or I think of even Ryan's family with the loss of his mama. But you know what we're going to find today in Psalm 2? We're going to find that no matter what is happening around us, no matter what is happening within us, no matter what is happening to us, that God is on the throne above us and that God is still in control. and So we're going to look this morning, Psalm 2, Hallelujah, our God reigns. Let's look together at the first four verses. David wrote, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying... Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. I want us to note first this morning simply this, the senselessness of humanity's rebellion. The senselessness of humanity's rebellion. As the song opens, we see first of all chaos on earth. Isn't it amazing, church, how humanity always seems to exist on the brink of absolute disaster? I like the old saying, what do you call it when cows threaten to destroy the world? Well, we would call that utter destruction. (laughs) But what do you call it when humanity threatens to destroy the world? I don't know, Tuesday. We do it all the time, right? It's nothing special. But the picture we see in the psalm here is we see the rulers and the heathen people that they imagine a vain thing. That word imagine is the same Hebrew word that we we get the word meditate from in Psalm chapter or in Psalm 1. And the idea is this, that the world has filled their minds with with ways to remove God from their lives, with, with ways to undermine or dethrone the Lord from their lives. It's kind of like Noah's day, Genesis 6 and verse number 5, the assessment of Noah's day that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But that kind of describes our day as well, does it not? Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3 beginning in verse 1 that in the last days perilous times would come. Go ahead and open your Bibles. It looks like they're kind of the, uh, the devil got in the old sound room again. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their, mo- for, of their own selves. Check. Covetous. Check. Boasters. Check. Proud. Check. Blasphemers. Check. Disobedient to parents. Check. Check, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, trading traders, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Boy, if that doesn't describe our day and age, I don't know what does. And so we have here a picture of a people who who have set themselves to imagine a vain thing and to, to rage against God and His throne. They've set themselves, the Bible says. The idea of set means to take up one's position or to make a stand. And so in all of this, what we see is that the world has decided to throw off all biblical restraints and fashion a new system of morality which would allow them to do as they please. But church, I remind us, though that can be discouraging to see around us, did you notice God's response? Verse number four, what does it say? He that sitteth in the heavens shall... What is it, church? Laugh. Laugh. God's response to man's rebellion, he laughs. Because man, for all his technology, for all his talents, for all his treasure, is still just mere mortal man. Think about it this way. Mankind has done some incredible things. Man has managed to put his feet on the moon. That's incredible. And yet, God has created and sustained and enjoyed the glory of a hundred million galaxies plus. Oh, man, though, man's done some wonderful things. Man has unlocked some of the mysteries of the atom and and of atomic power. And we've about destroyed ourselves in the process. But if you think that's a great accomplishment of man, just remember that God stokes and contains the nuclear fires of a billion stars every day. (laughs) The world has gone crazy Wickedness is on the rise. But hear me, God is not worried. Amen. Daniel 4 and verse 35, the Bible says this. Don, are we working back there? Perfect. And the and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Psalm 115 in verse number three, the Bible says this: But our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I'm going to tell you, the world has gone crazy, but God is not worried. He's not in heaven worried about geopolitical strife. Oh, I don't know. What are we going to do about Putin? God's not worried. God's not up in heaven worried. Oh, no. How are we going to save Israel? God's not worried. God's not worried about geopolitical strife. God is in control. God doesn't fret over your personal struggles. I'm going to tell you, we face things in this life and they absolutely rock our world, do they not? But they've never taken God by surprise. They've never put God in a position where he said, oh, no, I didn't see that coming for George. Oh, oh man, we got to get what's plan B. Come on, angels. What's plan B? We got to figure this out. I, I mean, this is this is shocking. God has never been in that position. Not once. Man counsels, man schemes, man rages, and man raves, but God sits in the heaven and laughs. And he laughs because he is firmly in control and no one and nothing can unseat him. Hallelujah, our God reigns. We see the senselessness of humanity's rebellion. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. We see, secondly, the sovereignty of heaven's reign. Look with me, beginning in verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sword as pleasure. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. The psalmist shows us first the senselessness of humanity's rebellion. The psalmist shows us secondly the sovereignty of heaven's reign. Church, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You know what that means? That means God alone holds the absolute right to run this universe as he sees fit. It means God created everything that we see and everything we can't see for his own purposes and glory. He created it. He owns it. He paid to redeem it from the effects of sin. This world with everything in it, including you, belongs to him. Psalm 24 in verse number 1. The psalmist writes this, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. God alone possesses the authority and the ability necessary. Church, we need to stop and remember this morning that God is sovereign over all of the nations. In Job 12, in verse 23, we see this. He increases the nations and destroyeth them. He enlarges the nations and straighteneth them again. God is sovereign over all the nations. And there is nothing happening around the world that is outside of the scope of His plan. God is in control. God is in control. God is sovereign over the nations, over men, over plants and animals, over lengths of life, over everything that ever has or ever will be. In that same chapter, Job 12, in verse number 10, it puts it this way, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. I'm going to tell you, these days in life can often seem out of control. But don't doubt for a second, God's plan is right on schedule. Church, I want you to know this morning that what God has decreed cannot be changed. Did you notice here in this section, I have set my king upon my holy hill. He said, verse 7, I will declare thy decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. We have here some of the decrees of God regarding his son, the Lord Jesus. That the Lord Jesus will indeed reign. The Lord will reign. We think of the decrees that God has made, and what God has decreed, church, cannot change. Decrees regarding His Son, we see some of these in Psalm 2. We see His decrees regarding the way of salvation. Galatians 4, beginning in verse number 4, Paul wrote, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, this was all a part of God's plan. That in the fullness of time, he would send Jesus. Revelation refers to Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You know, God has decreed some things that, if, that cannot change about His Son, about the way of salvation, about the plan, purpose, and promises for His people. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful chapter about God's promises for His people. Look at verse 28. God, we see here, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose, verse 29, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let me summarize these three verses for you. That when you and I choose to receive the Lord Jesus in faith, when we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we set in motion some things that God has promised that cannot be changed. If you are a child of God because you have received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, guess what? He's not going to let you go. He's not going to stop working in your life. He has already determined that those who are saved are going to be like Jesus. And so he's going to work in you. He's going to work for you. He's going to work through you to the point when you die and cross over, then you will be fully like Jesus. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Amen. I'm going to tell you what God has decreed cannot change. And God has decreed that if you've received the Lord Jesus in faith and you are a child of God, that He is going to work in your life to make you like His Son. I think not only for we as Christians, but also for Israel. You read a little farther in Romans chapter 9 through 11, and you know what you find? You find that God's not done with Israel. God's not done with Israel. That Israel as a nation, that God will once again take up working with them in the end times. We see that in the book of Revelation as well. And what God has decreed cannot change. So whatever Iran and Hamas and Lebanon and Hezbollah and Egypt and whoever else wants to get in on it, they will not eradicate the nation of Israel. Because what God has decreed cannot change. You know what God has decreed? The Lord Jesus has decreed, I will build my church. Isn't it good to know that you're a part of something that can't fail? Hey, we're on the winning side, amen? The Lord Jesus has said, I will build my church. He has taken up that upon himself. And he uses us to do it. Isn't that a glorious thing? To be co-laborers with him. I'm going to tell you, church, that's why church matters. Because Jesus didn't promise to build your career. He didn't promise to build your retirement plan. He didn't promise to build your sports career. He didn't promise to, 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 to build your academic portfolio. He didn't promise to, to make you an expert in all your hobbies or bilingual or trilingual or more, more or European. or they, they know a lot of languages, so I don't know what comes after <laughs> trilingual. He didn't promise to build any of that for you. He promised to build his church. Isn't it good? You know, the Lord has decreed that every man will stand before him in judgment. The Lord has decreed that at the end of days, at the end of the millennium, that there will come a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell with his people forever. What God has decreed cannot change. It cannot change. God's decrees cannot be changed. They will not be undermined or undone. So here it is. Get on board. Get on board. It is senseless to fight it. Now, let me get practical here this morning for a minute. How we view heaven's reign will either grow our faith or will grow our frustration. It will either give us a sense of great purpose or, or it will give us a, a sense of pointlessness. It will embolden our forward progress or enable our paralysis. See, some people look at the fact that God is sovereign, and they say, well, you know, if God is sovereign, and that means he's in control, and that means I have no control, and that means everything I do is, you know, God made me, it's the God made me do it. You heard the devil made me do it. There's some people out there that like the God made me do it. That everything that happens, well, God just made it happen. And so yesterday when I ate nine pieces of pizza over the course of the day, don't judge me because I didn't have a choice. Oh, God is sovereign and thats you cannot judge me because, but you get that mindset and it becomes very fatalistic. We begin to feel very paralyzed or pointless But that's not what God's sovereignty is and does. God is not here micromanaging. God is sovereignly orchestrating his plan. Both in his sovereign power and his skilled providence are always at work in my world and in my life. Working for his glory and the good of his people. I'm going to tell you how we view heaven's reign will either grow our faith or our frustration. I'm going to tell you, church, it ought to grow our faith. It ought to grow our sense of purpose. It ought to embolden our forward progress. Why? Because I know that my sovereign God is always bigger than my problems. I know that my sovereign God will not let my problem undermine his purpose. I know that my sovereign God has promised a purpose that is better than my present pain. And I know that my sovereign God is always aware and at work for His glory and my good. You know what? When I view the sovereignty of heaven's reign in that light, I come away understanding that He deserves my trust. He deserves my trust. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. The psalmist here, he points out the senselessness of humanity's rebellion. The people imagine a vain thing. They rage with the Lord. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The psalmist teaches us about uh, the, the sovereignty of heaven's rule. But finally this morning, we're posed with the significance of your heart's response. Look at the call of the the, the Spirit of God in verses 10 through 12. He writes, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. We see the senselessness of humanity's rebellion. We see the sovereignty of heaven's reign. Finally, this morning, we see the significance of your heart's response. The reality has been presented. Man's rebellion will accomplish nothing. God is sovereign and on His throne. The reality has been presented and your personal response is now required. And we find here a plea from the Holy Spirit of God. A plea that we see echoed in many places in Scripture. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He would much rather save you than judge you and send you to hell. In Christ, in the Son, God offers mankind peace, not war. 1 John 4 and verse number 10 puts it to us this way. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. You see, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, we find that God has offered rebellious humanity terms of peace. The Lord Jesus has provided satisfaction for the justice of God, but God will not force his love and mercy on those who are determined to rebel. Church, hear me well this morning. God's sovereignty does not negate human responsibility. In fact, God in His sovereignty has decreed that we as humanity have a free will to choose Him or reject Him. God's sovereignty does not negate human responsibility. And in light of who God is and what God has decreed, every single one of us must choose We must choose, what will we do with Jesus? What will we do with God's will, God's ways, God's word? And I'm convicted in my heart because I'm afraid sometimes that we spend so much time trying to fit God into our plans instead of seeking and submitting to His You know, church, I think one of the wisest prayers that we can pray is that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God's will would be done in me and through me. I ask us this morning, how would things change if I spent less time trying to get my will done in heaven and spent more time trying to get His will done on earth? The psalmist says, serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with reverence and awe. Because the truest freedom any of us can know comes from submitting to God and doing His will. But church, I'm convinced that the greatest question of responsibility lies not in serving with our hands but in surrendering with our hearts. Verse number 12, it has an interesting saying there, kiss the son lest he be angry. It points back to, a, to an Eastern custom where, where one would come and they would kiss the king and it, it was a show of love and of loyalty to the king. It was a, it, it was a demonstration of surrender and submission, love and loyalty. In other words, we are told to come and to surrender ourselves to the Son. In love, can I say this morning, you will go to heaven no other way than God's way. Jesus said in John 14, in verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You're not going to go to heaven because of your good intentions. You're not going to go to heaven because you, you took the Lord's Supper. You're not going to go to heaven because you joined some church. You're not going to go to heaven because you prayed to some saint. You're not going to go to heaven because you help old ladies and old men across the street. You're not going to go to heaven because your good works outweigh your bad. You're not going to go to heaven because we try, we try, we try. We're not going to go to heaven because, oh, we just generally believe in God. The Bible says that even the devils believe and Tremble, and yet they are doomed to hell for all eternity. The only way any of us go to heaven is God's way. And God's way is the Lord Jesus. You see, God loves us so much that since our sins separated us from Him, you could never get to Him. He came to you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the Bible teaches us that God loves us so much that since the wage, the consequence, the penalty of your sin was death that he died on a cross. He died your death so that he could offer you his life. The Bible says He loves us so much that He makes this gift of forgiveness and salvation available to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. This morning, if you're here and you have never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, put your faith and trust in who He is. He is God, very God, who, and what He's done, who died on the cross for your sins. If you've never put your faith in Christ... Would you come today, right. surrender and give your heart to the only one who can wash away your sin and make you right with a holy God? I'm convicted because all throughout the Bible, we see many who, who <sighs> want to stay stiff-necked, and they say, "Well, I just I won't ever bow. No, everyone will bow. Philippians reminds us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. The only question is when you will do it. Whether you will choose to do it now as the Holy Spirit draws your heart or whether you will be forced to do it at the judgment before you are Cast into hell for all eternity. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. God will not make that choice for you. As I look at the conclusion of this psalm, I see the senselessness of humanity's rebellion. I see the sovereignty of heaven's reign, but I'm going to tell you, church, the significance of our hearts' response cannot be overestimated. My response will determine my results. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. You see, if I in my heart refuse the Lord, if I in my heart reject His rule, if I in my heart want to discard what He is doing, oh, I only bring on my life judgment. Destruction. But, the psalm ends with, Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. It is an either-or choice and i need to make sure that i choose him. And church i'm encouraged that promise of blessed are they all they that put their trust in him. I'm going to tell you that promise is good for us today. We talked about John 3:16 how God loved the world and sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but of everlasting life. I love what Jesus said in John 10, how he said the thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come, why? That we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, how eye is not seen or ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Psalm 84, some my, of my favorite verses. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. I love how James says that every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Church, our God reigns. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And we as His people ought to rest in His rule. I'm going to tell you, if there's anything that ought to breed trust, that ought to breed faith, It ought to breed fortitude in the life of the Christian. It is the fact that God is on His throne and without fail His purposes will be accomplished in this world and in my life. Nothing can stand against what He has decreed and that is good news for all of His children. Our God reigns. Rest in the Lord. But I'm challenged as well this morning. Why? Because our God reigns. He is the sovereign Lord of all heaven and earth. The stars, the winds, the waves, they all obey him. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And he ought to be king of all of me. I ask us this morning as we consider the reign and rule of our God how long has it been Christian since you bowed the knee to King Jesus how long has it been since you sincerely sought and surrendered to God's will for your life it's senseless to fight against him does King Jesus have your heart this morning does he have your whole heart why not? He's worthy of our trust. Amen. Yes. God is on his throne. Amen. Nothing will ever unseat him. That's right. He's never up for election, he's not worried about an uprising. Hallelujah, our God reigns.